morning. So once again, uh, my name's Justin Ellis, one of the ruling elders here. And uh, just in case there are any visitors. Um, and this morning we'll be covering, continuing our study of the book of James. And uh, we are now at James chapter 4. We'll be studying verses 13 to 17. And I've entitled this lesson, More Heavenly Mindedness. Um, I taught a couple weeks ago on uh, the section where James talks about the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And so, uh, in some regards, I think it's, uh, it's continuing with, uh, you know, with his, his argument that he's making. But um, before we begin, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us here. Father, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness and into light. Father, we confess that uh, uh, there is no evil in you, and, and you do not tempt us with evil, and yet, uh, Father, uh, there's much sin in us, and, uh, and you've given us your word, in this case, the book of James, that we'll look at uh, this morning in Sunday school um, to give us wisdom to lead and guide us and, and we ask that you would give us wisdom and that you would uh, guide us and, and guide my speech this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, our text is James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Um, but before we begin, and often we, we will do reviews, I certainly very often do reviews when we're going through these book studies, but, uh, and I would like to do a review this morning, but, but my intent is uh, not simply to cover what we've already covered, but to, uh, I want to make a point, and I want to highlight three key aspects for me uh, from the book of James um, as he's working his way towards his conclusion. And the three things that I have seen that keep coming up are, number one, that faith produces fruit. It produces good works. Number two, that good works are not an automatic thing because of sin and therefore it's tied to wisdom. And then number three, related to the second point, that, that wisdom includes not trusting ourselves, but trusting in the Lord. And so hopefully I can make the point that these three things are connected with our passage here this morning. So uh, to begin with, faith, faith produces works. And I think uh, one of the points that James makes over and over again is that if you are a Christian, your faith will produce good works. Uh, remember his statements, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. Um, and, and as I mentioned once before, I don't think this is so much uh, do's and don'ts uh, as much as it is indicative and imperatives. Um, I think that this is kind of biblical logic. 
it, it, it follows that if you are a believer, that if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that you will produce good works. Now, he doesn't necessarily use that language, but, um, you know, Christians will do X, Y, and Z, and they will not do A, B, and C. And he uses horticultural examples. Uh, a fig tree will not bear olives. Vines will not bear figs. Fresh water will not produce salt water. Uh, if you have faith, it will produce works. And then he uses biblical examples. He mentions Abraham obediently offering Isaac. And he mentions Rahab trustingly hiding spies. Um, and then the next point in our review is the fact that this is a wisdom book. That, uh, that the fruit is not automatic. And I think it's because of, he doesn't, again, explicitly say it like this, but because of indwelling sin. Uh, recall in the first opening verses, let no man say he is tempted by God. And then he goes on with that, that uh, temptation cycle where he talks about uh, sin producing death. First you're lured, then enticed. And then once your desire is conceived, it gives birth to death. And so he makes an appeal for us to choose heavenly wisdom as opposed to earthly wisdom. Recall, he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. So he's encouraging us to follow the path of wisdom, even in the face of, uh, of trials and temptations. And then recall, he, he asks things like, who is wise among you? Reap a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, appealing for us to choose heavenly wisdom. And in some regards, I think it's similar to, uh, to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. And then recently, I think Parks is the one that covered this section. He talked about quarreling, so he kind of expands this idea um, of the things that Christians will do and the things that they will not do uh, as he relates it to the church, uh, quarreling among you, and so on. And then finally, the last point um, that I think is a really helpful point, and hopefully I can again tie it to our lesson this morning. Hopefully you'll see that. Um, and it's related to wisdom. But I think it's a subtle, it's a subtle message. I think this kind of goes under the radar. It's, it's not necessarily explicitly stated, um, but it is baked in to the DNA of the letter here. It's to trust, trust God and not yourself. Um, and I think it's a, obviously it's a message that we see throughout Scripture. Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Uh, and we see examples throughout James. If you lack wisdom, ask. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Well, we all lack wisdom. I, I certainly lack wisdom. Um, 
And again, don't rely on your own understanding. Don't say if you're tempted by evil, it's from the Lord. Um, do not be deceived because we are deceivable. But instead, we ought to trust in the Lord's goodness because He alone gives good gifts or the great giver of good gifts. And then do not choose worldly wisdom, such as doing things like showing partiality, where instead of using the eyes of faith, we're using the eyes that everyone in the world uses. And then I think part of the argument he makes, the reason we ought to do that is because we're like flowers of the grass that will fade away. And so there's a, uh, a, a real appeal here that James makes to have eyes of faith and to, uh, and to trust the Lord. So that leads to our discussion this morning. And he begins uh, by turning his attention away from kind of the realities of the wisdom from above and below. And, and now he starts to get kind of closer to home, I think. I, I haven't done the, the, the seminary training, but, you know, oftentimes it seems to me that, that preachers, there is one style of preaching where you will go through the text and then you get to the end and you offer examples of, of application uh, so you, you, you know, may, maybe take the, the principles that have been taught and you apply it to the lives of the folks that are listening. And, and uh, so I, this seems to be where James is starting to get into his section of application and uh, where it starts to get personal. Um, so let us hear, hear the text. If, if you have your Bible, turn to... James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So notice James' transition here. He starts off, come now. Um, I did a a word search for that that phrase, and it's one that seems to have... a deep meaning uh, as it's found in other sections of Scripture. It, it first starts with uh, Laban speaking to Jacob saying, come now, let us make a covenant. Uh, back in Genesis 31, this is also the language that, uh, that Joseph's brothers used as they saw him in the distance approaching. They said, come now, let us throw him in the pit and then we'll have our story straight. Say that he got, let, let's kill him and throw him in a pit and say that an animal got him. Solomon uses this language in Ecclesiastes, come now, I will test you with pleasure. 
And then it, it also obviously is, is a uh, kind of an inviting language, and it's a language used for reasoning with others. And that's evident, we see, as God condescendingly says in Isaiah, Come now, let us reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So, I think James needs to use this reasoning language because he's about to get really personal. But before I get there, let me mention one other thing. Recall James' target audience here. So if you remember back back to the very first verse, James refers to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And uh, this is a term that's used in several other places in Scripture. And it refers to Jews that have been scattered throughout the region of the Middle East and and modern-day Europe, Eastern Europe. And as a side note, interestingly, Matthew Henry comments that one of the reasons that uh, there may have been this dispersion is because uh, the Gentiles were kinder to, uh, to Jewish Christians. Um, and that makes sense because there was this rabbi from the tribe of Judah that... Uh, attacked the very core of, of their religion. So, um, anyway, thinking back to, uh, to the way the Old Testament uh, describes land and the importance of land, you recall from the Old Testament that the land was divided up and split amongst the, the tribes of Israel and uh, distributed amongst families. Um, much of the law dealt with land ownership. And so if you are now dispersed to another country where you are not a citizen, the likelihood that you're going to own, own land it might be pretty small, uh, but you've got to make a living somehow. So it makes a lot of sense that there would be traders or merchants in the audience that James is, is speaking to. Uh, that are in the uh, the diaspora. So he quotes them, and he says, "Some of you say, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring." Now let me let me qualify what I am going to say by first saying I don't think James is telling us that planning is bad. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Anybody agree? I think there are numerous examples in Scripture that indicate that being prepared or planning is a good thing. We have examples from Proverbs, commit your work to the Lord 
and your plans will be established. And that's in uh, chapter 16, verse 3. It, it presupposes that you have plans and that if you trust in the Lord, He will establish them. In Proverbs 21, 5, He says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to, to poverty. And then we have an example that recently we heard from the pulpit from Luke chapter 14 where Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first consider the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And Jesus is clearly suggesting the absurdity of setting out on a big project without having a plan to do it. So I don't think that that's what he's getting at here. Um, and in fact, earlier, James himself talks about the wisdom from below producing disorder, which seems to suggest, he seems to be suggesting that, that if earthly wisdom, the wisdom from below produces disorder, that heavenly wisdom would produce order. And I often think that, I know of many, many examples of order being produced as a result of planning and preparation. So. Um, any any pushback on that? All right. I think that I think the real issue that James has here is on perspective and the worldview of of the people that he's speaking to. These are people that seem to possess a great deal of confidence in what they can bring about. And again, going back to these points that I made earlier, you know, one of those including not to trust yourself, but to trust in the Lord. And just imagine if people are saying, and you know, by God's grace, thanks to you all, uh, the company that you keep, we're being around godly Christians. I don't necessarily hear this type of talk a lot, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not always around godly believers, and, and, and you guys may have uh, examples like this, but you know, every once in a while you might hear somebody say, well, you know, I've got a five-year plan, and um, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Uh, so next year, I'm going to do this, and the following year, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, five years from now, I might do such and such. Well, hopefully if you ever hear me, again, I don't think plans are bad, but if you ever hear me talk about next year, we, you know, in the, the session, we plan our lessons and whatever. Hopefully you'll always hear with a caveat that we'll talk about momentarily. Um, but, but again, I think that this perspective of just this bold confidence that's tied not to any kind of heavenly wisdom is what James is really getting at. And, and, and this is consistent not just with what James has already said, but also with what is said in the rest of Scripture. So 
for example, Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind, in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Pro, uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So in a way, these people are stealing from the Lord. So they are, they are stealing His honor. Uh, who numbers our days? And who knows all things? So, God is never surprised. Um, and, and we certainly see examples of this. I tried to look up a bunch of different examples from history. I, I, the, the most obvious one would be the Titanic. Uh, on the maiden voyage of the Titanic, a deckhand was asked if the ship was unsinkable because that was what was said. It was unsinkable. And uh, who knows if this is true, but uh, it, it sure does, you know. It serves as a really good <laughs> example. God himself could not sink this ship, is what was said. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so there are probably many other examples uh, that we could find in Scripture, but, uh, you know, that serve as great, a great warning to us. But I think what he's trying to point out, he's talking to believers. And I think he's saying, hey, look, you show up on the Lord's Day and, and you give praise to the Lord. But your practice in what you say outside of church is not consistent with the worship that, that you give them on the Lord's Day. And it, unlike Christ, who Paul says did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, James is telling these people that they are boastfully and arrogantly attempting to commandeer God's power of predestination. And so he has an admonition for them that I alluded to uh, a while back where he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. And uh, again, hopefully, you know, whether we're talking about Sunday school lessons for next year, Lord willing, hopefully that, uh, that is a caveat that is, that is provided I think there there may be a way. Uh, I think I think using that phrase is. I find it helpful, personally. There may be a way to do it uh, wrongly. You know, maybe you could do it flippantly and and kind of vainly. Uh, but uh, but I think. I think it's a good practice, 
if you mean it. And um, I think it's a verbal reminder to ourselves. Uh, you know, I, we had a pastor one time who talked about preaching to yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself. And I think that this is one of these reminders of, of eternal truths that are helpful for us to speak out loud and we hear them and other people hear them that, that are helpful. Um, I, think, I think what James is attempting to do here is to reconcile the, the, what, what is done in, in theory and practice, um, what people believe and, and what they do, which is obviously helpful for us. And I think what he's getting at is sanctification. Uh, so if we recall from our catechism, justification is an act of God's free grace. It, it happens in an instant, whereas sanctification is a work of God's free grace that's ongoing. Um, and it has an end. So the, the end is for uh, us to be re renewed as a whole man, uh, to die unto sin, to live unto righteousness, for our, our minds to be changed, our thinking to be changed. And that's part of that, that idea of fruit being produced, righteousness. But it is uncomfortable. Um, I think especially on the Lord's Day, sometimes I, I think I think David has mentioned this. Um, you know, it, it's it's uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit comes for you. Um, I, I think David has has mentioned this recently, maybe in a sermon. I know we've talked about it. It seems in session meetings, but where people will come up to him afterwards and say, "You you just started speaking directly to me about whatever this issue was." that had been going on in my life. You know, what, a, what some, you know, some, maybe some pet sin that we hadn't dealt with uh, in our hearts. Um, well, imagine if you're one of these merchants or traders <laughs> in this church when James's letter is being read out. And you, maybe you were the one that said hey, we'll go over here and we'll do this and we'll make a profit and it'll be good. Um, but, but James pulls no punches. And as he continues on in verse 16, he says, this talk is, is evil. It, it's a serious thing. Now, there aren't, uh, you know, we don't have too many traders or merchants that I'm aware of in our church here. And so I think it, it, it's easy, it, potentially easy for us to, to hear these words and to think about these folks and think, well, those poor saps. Uh, but I think the obvious question for us after reading this passage is, what about us? Do we, do we do these things? Maybe we say, Lord willing, but maybe we don't necessarily 
necessarily believe. Maybe it's just a, you know, a, a verbal habit. Um, you know, do, do we plan, do, do we come up with plans in our minds without considering the Lord? Do we, do we plan our ways with no consideration for our own finitude or for God's sovereignty? And I think in, in some ways, going back to the very beginning of James' letter, As believers, it makes sense for suffering to remind us to, uh, to keep us sober-minded, to sanctify us, to... Uh, by God's grace, to trust in the Lord, uh, even in the midst of suffering. Um, but then James closes with this last passage, or this last section, where he basically says, if you know the right thing to do, and you fail to do it, then you are in sin. And kind of goes along with you know, to whom much has been given, much is expected. Uh, Paul saying that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Uh, we, you know, by God's grace, we're we're in a church that that preaches the word, teaches the word. But but the the, the challenge with that is that we hear the word and now. Now we know. And so there's a, a response for that. So in closing, I'll ask this question. What is James attempting to teach us in this passage? If, if I were to give an answer, I would say that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. And that as we walk with our great God, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting in His goodness. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, once again we thank You for, uh, for Your Word. We thank You for the book of James here and for the, for the, uh, for the ways that it challenges us and encourages us and Father, we continue to pray that you'd give us wisdom. We now pray that you would be with Silas this morning as he preaches and that you would bless his preaching and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.